listeners, and welcome back to Talks with Together We Care Fountain Hills. My name is Rory Wilson, and I will be your host for today. Last week, I was reading an opinion article by someone who's a clear supporter of public safety. This article was published in the Arizona Republic, and it came out just a day or so after the Department of Justice announced their investigation into the Phoenix Police Department. One of the things he said stuck with me, and it's also very true. He said, you either have a defund the police sticker or a Blue Lives Matter flag on your car. And it occurred to me that we have never really discussed what it means to defund the police on our podcast or social media. We do have a short page about it on our website, but I feel like the main reason why we've chosen not to discuss the subject is because just about everyone that follows and supports Together We Care has a pretty good understanding of what defunding the police means just like it is with most advocacy groups or Instagram accounts. People follow and support us because of our similar beliefs and perspectives, not because of our differences. And that's why we've never really touched too much on defunding the police, because the people that really need to listen about it are the ones that don't want to. So there are things about defunding the police that have been on my mind for quite a while, and they're not just necessarily directed at those people who refuse to understand the concept. Everyone who supports defunding the police knows that the concept itself is pretty simple. I mean, to defund something is to take away funds. To take away money, right? It's not to completely drain an agency of all of its money. I've also noticed a common trend in politicians, which I'm sure many other people have noticed as well. And it's the response to defunding the police. Like I just said, defunding the police isn't some sort of mathematical or completely out-of-this-world concept that is hard to understand. It's very simple. To defund is to take away. There are many politicians that understand this. They get that what we're trying to do is reallocate funds toward communities in need of better education, healthcare, environmentally friendly resources, and most importantly, first responders that are better equipped to handle mental health crises. But still... They choose not to support the concept of defunding the police. Why? Well, for starters, many will say something along the lines that the phrase defund the police is too negative. And the reason why they don't agree with it is because it doesn't have a more appealing connotation. That defund the police doesn't have a positive outlook. To me, I find it ironic because states and cities have been defunding educational institutions for years, and yet somehow people are not nearly as offended by the funds being taken away from their children's educations, which could potentially better prepare them for secondary school and just life in general, I might add, as they are as when people speak out about reallocating funds from police agencies to institutions that are being deprived of said funds. To put it simply, people especially our government, are so caught up in the phrase itself that they don't even pay attention to the problem. They'll continue on to say that reform the police is more appealing, as though the words themselves have more influence than the actual black and brown lives at stake each day for becoming one more victim of police violence. Yes, to defund the police and reallocate those funds in other social institutions also includes police reform. But these both go hand in hand. You can't reform the police without defunding them and directing those funds to behavioral health workers. Defunding the police was never some political agenda started by progressives to get votes. 
It is literally what it means to defund law enforcement agencies, those that are overfunded compared to any other institution, and invest in the best interests of the community. If you haven't connected the dots yourself already, mental health is connected to everything. If you start your morning with a cup of coffee that randomly spills, you can become determined that your whole day is going to be bad. Or if all you needed to feel confident in yourself was a pep talk from a loved one, you can be determined to make the best out of that day. There's also depression and anxiety, two of the most common mental illnesses, that can convince you that the world doesn't need you or that everyone is always watching you. These thoughts can affect your performance during daily activities like brushing your teeth or eating, and it can also affect your performance at work or in school and how motivated you appear to be. In addition to the little things that are affected and can be influenced by mental health, there's also things that happen in the news. Over the past year, it's been hard to get a day off from bad news, especially with the recent surge in COVID cases. There's also been several threats of fires, flooding, people across the country getting evicted and becoming homeless, and police violence. All of these affect how we make day-to-day choices. Some of us taking breaks from watching the news completely because we feel so depressed all the time. Now, whether you've been challenged by mental illness your whole life, or just since the pandemic began... You know that there are good days, bad days, and really bad days. You don't feel great all the time. Now, talking more specifically about police violence and eviction, both of these affect the poor and people of color at much higher rates than white people in middle and upper classes. They're just a nonstop cycle of worries that they need to be concerned about if the government is ever going to just stop and give them a break or take some other course of action to prevent further violence and death. So let's talk about police reform, which in short is handing off some responsibilities to social workers and other behavioral health professionals. This is the aspect in which money is diverted and invested in mental health care. Whether you're having one bad day or you have a mental illness, anything could happen. You might have a panic attack or have a tempered mood swing, or maybe you're feeling suicidal, any of which can prompt you or someone else to call 911 for help. Right now, police respond to mental health calls. A few officers have what's called crisis intervention training, also known as CIT, which is about 40 hours of mental health training. For this next part, it might be familiar to those of you who get our newsletter each week, because I'm going to be talking about a case I discussed in our newsletter we sent out July 27th. This is also a point where I'm announcing a trigger warning for suicide. On the night of July 8th, Stanley Howard, a 64-year-old man, made several 911 calls and the night ended with him being fatally shot by Phoenix police. Officers reportedly went to his residence three times, and when he stated that he had a gun and started to make his way out of his home, officers shot him and he later died at a nearby hospital. It was later found after he was shot that he was holding a plastic water gun. One of the most immediate thoughts that people have while reading this is that the police were just doing their jobs, which they did. They responded to 911 calls for help, and when they thought a man posed a threat to themselves and other people, they did what they thought was right. 
But there are other factors to consider. Howard said repeatedly, shown in body camera footage released by the department, that he hates women. And yet, responders continued to send the same female officers. He also told the female dispatcher that he hated women. In both instances, the dispatcher and officers, two of whom had crisis intervention training, should have known not to send women as it would only raise tensions with Howard. If the police had chosen to send only male officers, would it have changed the outcome? No one can answer that. But if you consider behavioral health professionals, they would have immediately taken note that the presence of women made Howard more aggressive and uncomfortable. Good policing is not making individuals uncomfortable by bringing other officials that trigger them just to be inclusive in the workforce. It is knowing what officials and responders are needed while also recognizing the needs of the victim and or caller and addressing those needs. In this case, Stanley Howard's needs were not met. Even though he hated women and made, the clear, made that clear to first responders, they continued to send female responders, which only raised his aggression towards them. No. No one ever likes to think about the what-ifs in a suicide-by-cop situation. But it is situations like these where we must ask ourselves if just 40 hours of mental health training is enough to respond to mental health crisis calls. Other people will argue that CIT is a mental health intervention training that has more benefits than it does costs for communities. Yeah, not every crisis call ends up with someone dying, but that isn't what communities need. We don't want police officers armed with deadly weapons that have some training in mental health. We want actual mental health professionals armed with knowledge and tools that can help us, not with weapons that could potentially end a human life. We talk a bit about this on our website. If you go to twcfountainhills.weebly.com and go to our Educate tab and then to Answers to Misconceptions, we do talk about police reform. There are a few different ways towns and cities can go about investing funds into mental health programs, which include crisis and warm lines, peer navigator programs, EMS-based programs, and mobile crisis teams. A great example of a mobile crisis team is Denver's STAR program, which stands for Support Team Assisted Response and consists of social workers and EMTs. What happens is when someone has a mental health crisis and calls 911, those calls are redirected to STAR so that the caller can have a more appropriate response rather than what happens in most cities where police respond and the risk of misinterpreting a person's words or behaviors can lead to police violence against whoever originally needed help. Of all the first responder services we have right now, they all specialize in something. EMTs, also known as emergency medical technicians, are trained to provide basic medical care, like first aid and CPR, to patients prior to arriving at the hospital. Firefighters are trained to, you know, fight fires, but some of them also serve as paramedics, which are slightly more advanced than EMTs. Law enforcement officials are trained in a way that they can maintain order of society and manage public safety. At various times in different situations, officials from any one of these three responding groups may serve as a first responder at a mental health crisis call. But still, 
there's the question of who is the most suitable for a call as such. Whether it's a call about a suicide attempt or someone who appears to be behaving weird. Which isn't always drug related and could be something along the lines of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. But let me ask you this. We have three primary services that respond to calls for help. Let's say that you are home reading a book and all of a sudden you smell smoke and you discover that a fire has started in your garage. Once you get your loved ones out, you call 911. How would you feel if the operator told you that no one from the fire department was available? That the only people they could send you were some EMTs that were fresh out of training and had little experience fighting fires. I mean, yeah, some experience is better than nothing, but then you only have two officials trying to put out a house fire that usually requires the effort of at least one fire engine crew. What about if there was a suspect in your home holding your family members hostage, threatening to injure them, and all the operator can do is say that the fire department is on their way, that a fire department official is the only one available to negotiate with a suspect or figure out another way to help your family before someone gets hurt. The same thing goes with mental health calls. Yeah, in some cases, a cop with 40 hours of training is better than no one at all. But wouldn't you rather have someone who spent two to four years in, behavior, in the behavioral health field respond to a crisis call? Wouldn't you rather have the fire department respond to a call about a house fire? You would prefer if the cops would respond to a hostage situation rather than a few paramedics, right? We don't send officials with different training to calls that don't require them. It just doesn't make sense because we have different services for a reason. So why do we send officials with very little training in mental health to crisis calls? when we could literally just create another first responder service composed solely of social workers. The thing about police is they're asked to do so much for our communities, but their only real training involves responding to crime and attempting to prevent it from happening in the future. Some will have CPR training, and then they have several different divisions for certain crimes, like the, ve the vehicular crimes unit for vehicle collisions and hit and runs. And then a very small amount will have crisis intervention training. In 2019, Michael C. Biasotti, the chief of police at the Naval Postgraduate School, completed a report and surveyed over 2,000 senior law enforcement officials across the nation, many of which have had more than 20 years of service. Biasati's survey concluded that officials are overwhelmed with dealing with the unintended consequences of a policy change that in effect removed the daily care of our nation's severely mentally ill population from the medical community and placed it with a criminal justice system. With more officials arresting mentally ill individuals, which also includes an increase in arresting the homeless community, it was stated that most officials' efforts are being exhausted. The report also detailed that mental illness-related calls take up much more time than any other calls like traffic stops or domestic disputes, especially because officials have few resources to help refer, refer those individuals to. Many of the officials commented similar things on the survey. 
Calls for mental health crises take hours. Police participation in de-escalation has more pressure than those of nearby EMS units or hospital officials. They don't have enough resources to help, and callers only call the police because it's their only option, but they're still wary of what could happen when cops arrive because of their weapons. The fact is that we, as a society, place too many responsibilities on law enforcement agencies. One of the most common arguments in which people support police is that they're not robots, they're human too. And I'm always just kind of like, yeah, I know, that's why we need to lessen their load a bit. By taking some funds that would normally be exhausted from officers not knowing what to do during a mental health crisis. So they end up standing around for hours or it turns into a homicide situation because officials misinterpreted an individual's behavior. And we take those funds and we put them towards mental health. We bring in social workers, people that have actual experience with mentally ill and are equipped better with the knowledge and non-life-threatening tools to help them. We take away the responsibility of mental health crisis calls from law enforcement and we create another primary first responder service that is dedicated to mental health. According to the American Psychological Association, about 20% of 911 calls are mental health related. You know what could happen if we do defund the police and invest in a mobile crisis team or EMS-based programs? Law enforcement officials would not be the first responders on the scene of mental health calls. Did you also know that individuals with untreated mental illnesses are 16 times more likely to be killed by law enforcement? A national report found that in every four cases that a police officer kills someone, one of those individuals has had an undiagnosed mental illness. Police reform has the potential to save lives. It has the potential to lessen the strain placed on law enforcement when the responsibility of mental health calls are given to social workers. No, police aren't robots. Neither are firefighters or EMTs or doctors or anyone on this earth that is a human being. Police aren't meant to deal with every single call for help. That is okay to recognize, and it should not mean that just because we recognize our faults, that police responding to mental health calls have more costs than benefits, that there needs to be an all-out war between those of us that support defunding the police and those of us that don't. My name is Rory Wilson. I am a co-founder of TWC. I work a part-time job, and I am a college student at Grand Canyon University. I am also challenged by mental illness, and I would not feel comfortable talking or interacting with cops if I were having a mental health crisis. Thank you all for tuning in today, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any questions or comments, be sure to email us or go to our website, twcfountainhills.weebly.com, and go to our homepage to submit an opinion. I would love to continue this conversation further and am happy to answer any questions you may have. This is Together We Care Fountain Hills. Have a wonderful rest of your day.